Welcome, everybody, to Dead Talk Live. And tonight, it is my pleasure and honor to have with us Shane Johnson, who's been in, well, just about everything. Shane, how are you doing tonight? I'm fantastic. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be here. Excited to talk with you guys. Absolutely. It's our pleasure. And let's just dive right into it. One of your earliest uh, professional credits was Saving Private Ryan, if not your first one. I believe it was like straight out of college. Is that correct? Well, yeah, it was actually, I was still in college. I was um, studying it in London at a place called Lambda. And uh, they had, they just were posting audition notices around this, this school. And it seemed like a really dumb title at the time because, you know, now everybody knows Saving Private Ryan. But at the time I was like, Saving Private Ryan, what a stupid name. And, um, and but I was like, yeah, what, I didn't even have a headshot. And then I had a friend who, who took some headshots real quick. I submitted myself. They called me in and I auditioned. And then, you know, I had the audacity to call up the casting office and say, hey, so um, like the school year's over. I'm, I'm going to go back to the United States. Like, should I stick around? And they were like, no, no, no. You've, you're fine. Go ahead and go back to America. You're cool. And so, of course, like the day I, as soon as I landed, they were like, hey, yeah, so actually, can you turn around and come back on your own dime? And I can totally thing. believe that. I can totally, yeah, totally believe that. Uh, now, Saving Private Ryan has definitely become an iconic movie as time went on. It has one of the most intense opening uh, 10, 15 minutes of any yeah. movie. And you're part of that opening scene, correct? Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, can you just describe to us well, what we saw? They were trying to mimic what happened on D-Day as realistically as they could. And it was really graphic. What was it like on the set shooting that chaotic opener? Well, you know, it was pretty wild. Being, being that it was my first movie, I first of all, understandably, was kind of terrified myself, you know, to a degree, which worked for the scene. Um, in the end, you're working with Spielberg. So you're yes. kind of like, you know, it's a lot. And we filmed all that beach stuff in Ireland. Um, and anyway, the way it, it felt being there was so, I mean, I'm not going to pretend like it felt like I was at war. But they did such an incredible job back then, you know, because there wasn't a lot of CGI. And yeah. It was like a, everything was really practical. So when we were running up to like when we were coming up through the from the U-boats running, rushing onto the beach, they would have like high pressured PVC pipe under the in the ocean. Wow. So you would just all around you as you're running, you're hearing, doo, 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 you know, it's like little it felt like you were being shot at, you know. And then as you. uh you look up on the beach, on the beachhead, there was like these, these pillboxes that had like the huge Gatling guns in there mm -hmm. with, you know, a German soldier like firing rounds at you. Now, of course, they're, they're not real rounds, but mm -hmm. the fire's coming out of the end of the barrel. It sounds real. It looks real. And there's bullets going off all around you. And then as you hit the beach, there were detonations just there were little flags like don't step here don't step there which is also scary because you're like well what if i accidentally step on a on a little flag and so there was all these detonations going off and i think the thing that made it feel the most real a couple of things one is first of all the sound and all that but then the debris raining down on your helmet as you're as you're running and 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 the yelling and the screaming and all, all that stuff just combined it's pretty easy to kind of get lost in that and you almost feel like you're not acting because you're just like you know um and then the and then the, the thing that was really intense was they they hired a bunch of amputees oh. that were stunt yeah. people that um they would build you know fake limbs for them and then they would they would step on the flags and literally they just blow their limbs off wow and and so seeing that, like in front of you as you're running, seeing, seeing, like really seeing somebody running next to you, like normally, and then all of a sudden their leg getting blown off was, I mean, it was, wow. it was great. Uh, it was that great. sounds absolutely crazy. Now, 
being in college still and being your first set with Spielberg, the big budget that was into Saving Private Ryan, uh, it must have been overwhelming probably to say the least. But what did you take from that when you went to your next project? Did your next project seem a little bit underwhelming coming from something of a budget like Saving Private Ryan? Yeah, yeah, I would say that's probably true. But the, the thing I really took away from it, I mean, you're right, you're right. Because like I remember sitting down with Spielberg, it was pretty wild, like just the two of us sitting down underneath a tent in director's chairs talking about Lambda, my education, and his daughter was going to RADA mm-hmm. at the time, which is kind of like the sister school of Lambda. And so we were just bullshitting. It was like I was hanging out with my uncle. It was like, but my heart was pounding because I'm going, I'm sitting here talking to Spielberg crying out loud. And the whole time we're talking, he's sort of sketching on a, I think it was a napkin. He was just kind of sketching and we're bullshitting. And, and then his director of photography, I think it's um, Kaminsky maybe, like I think that's who it was, and he, he's like, so, hey, and he hands off the napkin and he just says, like, this is so this is what I'm envisioning. And it's that amazing tracking shot that it was just like all happening right there. It was just really pretty magical. And um, but he, but the thing you asked me what I took away from that film, other than those incredible experiences and and all that um, was. A lot of the guys in that film um, were are self-starters are guys that um, put themselves on the map. As a matter of fact, um, it was Vin Diesel's first big movie. That's right. And he he had done a film that went, got into Sundance that he wrote, I think he produced, directed, starred in it. Like it was a Vin Diesel production that got into, um, and he was, he was a nobody. And it got into Sundance. And um, Spielberg saw it and said to the writer, who I think his name was Robert Rodat, he says, he told, he said, write, write this guy a part, which is one of the reasons why I think his part is fairly small and mm-hmm. it, it ends pretty quickly because I'm sure the movie was already written. But he thought so much of what he did that he's like, you have to write this guy a part. And he has a, he has a great, really remem- memorable part in that movie. And then on top of that, you've got Eddie Burns, it's an all-star uh, cast, <laughs> you know, but he, but Edward Burns is somebody that produces, writes, directs, same with Giovanni Ribisi, Adam Goldberg, you know, um, Tom Hanks. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of these guys are, are, they're not waiting for the phone to ring. And that, that really struck me because I was like, I can take a, a cue from that. And that clearly Spielberg respects these guys, but also that's what you want to be. You want to be somebody that's kind of designing your own fate rather than just, hoping your agent gets you a job, you know? Exactly. And Um, I totally have such respect. And like, it sounds like you do as well, who people who don't wait around for the phone to uh, ring, they make their own opportunities. And that's uh, just hearing that story about Spielberg and his, just that napkin sketching and his creative process. It just feeds into the mythology of this man and just how brilliant and historical career he has and is ongoing. What would you say uh, Private Ryan compared to another big movie behind Enemy Lines? What would be the similarities, the differences? Behind Enemy Lines stars my favorite actor of all time and Gene Hackman. I'm a huge Gene Hackman fan. Uh, what would you? What would be the comparison between the two things, two movies? Well... You know, first of all, I had a lot more to do in Saving Private Ryan. Mm-hmm. I, both of them, both of them, I spent, you know, like Saving Private Ryan, I think I spent three weeks in Ireland filming that. And, and behind, uh, behind Enemy Lines, I think I spent like two weeks in Slovakia mm-hmm. shooting that. Um, but the thing I would say with, first of all, Gene Hackman is awesome. Awesome. I'm totally with you. And you know what's surprising to me, though, is not long after that movie which i think was 2002 mm-hmm. like he he only did like maybe two more movies i know that's so sad i miss him and he's, he's been retired for almost like 20 years yeah and you don't you, but you don't feel that you're like yeah gene hackman it seems like he's still all kind of you know in the mythology around us in cinema but 
he's really hasn't been yeah uh, and yeah he's a he's a fantastic actor going all the way back to superman oh you yeah know? yeah uh, i mean to me the man has nothing left to prove you know if he wanted yeah. to he's earned his retirement uh absolutely 100 percent yeah, uh, absolutely. 100%. Now, there's a film that you have in post-production called uh, Son of Perdition. And um, it basically sounds like a cult story. Uh, what can you tell us about this project? Yeah, that thing's, uh, you know, I'm pushing to try and get that thing through the finish line. It, I think it's a really great, um, interesting kind of heady horror film really about the forces of good and evil in all of us. And, um, and it sort of pits me as what kind of representing the light, let's say, and then it's, it's a Western actually. Okay. And, and then this sort of outlaw who kind of represents the darkness, but in reality, you know, kind of two sides of the same coin. And, but I have this sort of flock of followers that he's kind of slowly taking away from me, basically like a, a, a wolf in sheep's clothing sort of yeah. a thing. And he's, he's constantly testing my faith and my resolve. And in a way, kind of, kind of teaching me, I mean, I'm teaching him too, but he's kind of, he's kind of handing me my ass in a way. Um, and, and I, I really, I'm really proud of the work. I think it's, uh, it's unfortunate that it hasn't, you know, reached the finish line yet. And sometimes these indie things, you know, it's they, they can kind of, yeah, it can get complicated. It's, you know, it's one of these things which what I tell, like what I, this is what I would admonish people that are getting into this, that if you're going to make something yourself, or if you're going to be a part of something that's self-started by somebody you know or it's a bunch of really creative passionate people getting together scraping together some money and making a movie and no matter what the budget is i mean it could be 10 million dollars but if you don't have a plan for the end line then then you're kind of you can get really get yourself in trouble because what what happens is you get a lot of artistic people together they get really passionate and you you want to go out and you want to film something you know, you want to make something. People go, yeah. And then you get the director, you get, you have, you have the script is written. It's beautiful. Everyone's excited. You get all these actors together. You get like a cinematographer. Everybody wants to make stuff. Everyone wants to shoot. Yeah. And then you got it. And then you have it in the can and everyone's like, we did that. And it's like, no, no, it's not. It's only like half done. Distribution. Only, is, yeah. Distribution. Well, and, and you're getting it, just getting it through post. Yeah. You know, there's all the post work, the score, you know, especially in, in a genre film, mm -hmm. the score is Huge. sometimes half of the film, you yeah. know, and, um, and getting the, and having the editing, like an editor can make or break a film mm -hmm. and, um, and sound is so important. Like there's just so many aspects that, that, that are a work. It's a lot of work. Oh yeah. You know? Oh yeah. And so I would I would have a plan to, to, like you said, distribution too. like, have a plan from soup to nuts. Exactly. What are we doing? Exactly. What do we have? How do we get through this thing? You know? Yeah. That's great advice. Now there's another, uh, project that's listed as completed, completed called death everlasting. Sounds like a quirky, dark comedy. It, IMDB yeah. has it listed as completed. Is that one past the finish line? Yeah, it's one of those things that's kind of kicking around out there. You know, it's, um, it was, it's one of those, that was a great learning experience for me because, um, a couple, I had a couple of great learning experiences where, you know, um, I love the script and I love the people that we, that worked on it. There's a lot of really great story elements and great footage in there. And I, and it just felt, it fell down in post production. Oh, you know, fell, fell down in post production. It's, um, it's it, it's it's completed, but what it really needs is a post production um, manager or you know supervisor, yeah. and and a it, and it just needs it needs somebody that knows what the hell they're doing to yeah. and it's not me. Okay, yeah, that's the other thing is you, you got to surround yourself by people that know what they oh, yeah. that know their hats, you know, and absolutely. And my hat is not I'm not a director, um, and I'm not a 
post-production supervisor. Absolutely. You know? Yeah, I totally understand you. Now let's get to the movie where I really came to know you, and that is The Possession of Michael King. Uh, you are the lead star of that movie. Great movie. I really... I'm, I'm always skeptical uh, when I start a movie with a title, The Exorcism of or The Possession of fill-in-the-blank. Uh, because yeah. there have been some good ones. The Exorcism of Emily Rose was fantastic with Jennifer yeah. Carpenter. So I remember coming across this movie, The Possession of Michael King. I'm like, oh boy, here we go. Uh, <laughs> do, I, do I push the play button or what? And I'm glad I did. Uh, that movie was fantastic. Uh, tell us, walk us through how the script came to you. Did you audition for it? How did you get involved in the possession of Michael King? Yeah, so that um, that was an audition. I auditioned for that. And I loved the script from the get-go. And I had a really really strong point of view about what I thought the movie could be. Mm -hmm. And it was a good lesson to me as an actor, um, a buddy of mine who was actually with me in um, behind enemy line, okay. like 15 years earlier. Right. Mm -hmm. We had, was it 15, whatever, maybe 12 years or earlier we had uh, done behind enemy lines. It, it, it came in his name, Sam Yeager. He was on the TV show parenthood. He's yeah. a great actor. Great guy. But he, um, it was down between the two of us oh. for the possession of Michael King. And, and I was really excited because I was excited about what in my mind and in my heart, what I was going to do with this, with this movie. And I saw it with Sam and I was like, ah, oh, fucking Sam. And then, and then, um, and then I could, which I hate doing this. I really, but in this particular situation, I couldn't help it. I hate when you're in an audition room, a waiting room. And you can hear the other actor. Oh, yeah. Because then you're kind of like going, oh, man, I don't want to hear what this person's doing. I don't want to hear, you know, casting directors laughing or or going, or going, oh, my God, that was amazing. You just don't want to hear anything. Mm -hmm. You just kind of want to get into your zone. But it was, there was so much going on in there. that, And the door was so thin that I, I was like I was sitting in the room with them. And Sam was going for it like 10,000%. Like laying it on the line. And I was like, oh. And it just, while I was sitting there, I was going, oh, I have to like, I gotta, I gotta get hit another level here. And it was the most rigorous audition I've ever had. I was, I think I was in the audition room for 45, 50 minutes, which is un, you know, unheard of. It was, yeah. it was maybe even an hour. It was so, I had to actually say, guys, I'm so sorry. I got to go put money in the meter, which, you know, and I think I'd put like an hour and a half in there, but I had to, um, it, it, and I mean, I, I came out of there, my, I was sweating and I just, you know, you just laid it all on the line. And, um, and that movie, I think is, I, I'm glad you liked it. I think it was a very it. special movie and the director, writer, director, producer, um, David Young, who's a great friend of mine now he wasn't then, but he's a great friend of mine now. Um, he's, he just, I think he did a great job with it. And, and I think the movie would have actually taken off in a, in a much bigger way had the production company <laughs> that same year while, while we were filming pitch perfect came out. Oh yeah. And that was also their movie. And so I think they were just, they went, they were like, Oh, okay. All, all hands on deck. We're doing pitch perfect too. This movie's huge. And I think that they kind of, other things kind of started to kind of get, there's, take there, on. There's like a limited budget and they put more into pitch. Perfect. It wasn't the budget. It wasn't the budget. It was cause our budget was fine. It was more a matter of like Paul Brooks and those guys and the attention that they were giving our movie. Cause they were, they were on set with us and they were, you know, they were talking about the footage that they were getting. They were so excited about the possession of Michael King. And then halfway through filming, Pitch Perfect came out. And I think they just all kind of were like, oh, God, we have a cash cow here. And and so I just think that my, my point is, is that I think there would have been much more of a push because they had to deal with Universal. There would have been much more of a push to to get it into more theaters. 
um, and to and to you know. Push I it agree. Out there I agree. It's a very underrated movie. Uh, like I said, around that time, a lot of movies with similar titles. Even today, they're still coming out. Uh, so you're kind of okay. You read any synopsis is going to make a movie sound good, right? But you get into this, and it immediately draws you in. And I'm trying to, you know, I, I've seen the movie three times now already. And each time that I watch it, I'm like, okay, what makes this movie so different? I think it's, a, a first of all, great acting. Uh, the story is good. I like how the director picks and chooses what he shows, what they show us and don't show us. For example, they don't show us michael king's wife dying uh i think that's very important i think that plays well into the story one minute in the beginning you guys are a happy family through that movie footage that we're seeing and the next thing you go and visit that uh spiritual advisor tarot card reader she great yes yes and you are angry. You're like, if it wasn't for your advice, me and my wife would have been in Europe and she would still be alive. And uh, it just spirals out of there to where your character goes into such a dark place just to prove more to yourself than I think to the documentary that you're making that all of this is just fluff. It's not real. Ghosts don't exist. Spiritual advisors are crap. Uh, Then, well, you learn the hard way that it's not the case. How did you feel about all the dark scenes you had to do as as Michael King is trying to disprove uh, the whole mythology of spirits, ghosts, and demons? You know... And I'm sure you, I'm sure you, uh, you've talked to so many more guys that, and, and gals that have done these kinds of movies than I have, but I'm sure there's a fairly similar kind of answer you get, which is that, you know, you approach it as, as an artist, as an, as an actor kind of going, Oh, I'm excited about this project. And then, and that gets you through the door. But then once you start really considering, some of the things you're doing and some of the things you're saying, they, they become really sort of spine tingling, you know? Um, and, and whether you believe in God or the devil, or if you're an atheist or there's, there's still, everybody still has like, well, I'm not really sure. Mm -hmm. And, and that's the thing that came up for me. Like I remember when I was working on, on, on the scenes and I was by myself in, in, in the basement and there's nobody else in this house and I'm working on this stuff and I'm having to say things like, like challenging the, the devil provoking yeah. to, to, to prove himself to me. If you're so powerful, if you're so real, show me, I mean, even just saying this to you right now, it's like, I have a sensation mm-hmm. about it because it's like, and imagine being in your, in a dark room by yourself trying to get in the zone and you're going over and I'm going, Oh my God, I, I got to cancel, cancel. Like don't, don't, don't go down this road. And, and some of the things that started to happen to me throughout the filming of the movie were really troubling to me wow. in a way that I was like, Oh man, this is uh like, as an example, a couple examples that I, th- I thought was pretty wild. One, um, the the ants you know there was this thing with crawling and ants mm-hmm. right yeah everywhere you were there remember, was an ant yeah so i and they were very special ants that they'd they'd searched to get these huge ants so that they on camera they looked awesome because mm-hmm. they were they were huge and so when they're crawling on me which they were they were all crawling in my ears and my nose they were all over the place and they were massive and so you and you cool them down like they put them in the freezer or something, cool them down so that they move more slowly. It was weird. There's this whole, they were ant wranglers, but anyway, so I'm, I'm trashed after a day of filming. I go home. I don't want to bother my wife and kids. So I, I just pass out on the couch and, and I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm just covered in ants. Literally. Yeah. Yeah. 
Wow. The, the, not, not the ants from no, the no, movie no, shoot. Uh, yeah. I just happened to have had a, a bunch of ants like show up wow. on my couch in my house while I was sleeping in the middle of the night. And I was like going, oh, man. And I know that a lot of people are like, ah, oh, you left a banana out, yeah. whatever. Like there's an excuse. Of course you can excuse it away. But, but it was still putting yourself in that situation where you're trying to stay in that zone and you're filming every day and you're, you're staying in this place. It's kind of dark and kind of weird. And then um, one of the craziest ones is uh, there's that scene where my daughter um, comes to me and says, Daddy, I had, a, I had a nightmare. And you're the monster, yeah. Yeah, and I'm like, you know, exactly. I, I get down on my knees and I'm like, hey, well, you're okay. There's nothing, everything's, you know, I'm here. What was, what was your dream about? And she's like, it, and it, it was about a monster. And I was like, well, what did the monster look like? She says, it was you, right? Mm -hmm. And it's just sort of like, sort of clocks something in Michael King that, that like, oh shit, this is going off the rails a little bit. So no lie, man. My, then like, see, he would have been, he's 14 now. He would have been six, maybe seven. Um, wakes up in the middle of the night, comes out, wakes me up. And I bring it, I actually, I was in bed with my wife, but so he wakes me up. I, I, I don't want to wake up my wife. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, I get him out of the room and I'm like, what's going on, buddy? What's going on? And he's like, I just had a, I had a bad dream. And I was like going, and I immediately was like, cause I just filmed maybe two nights before that scene. And I was like going, I was like, all right, let's see where this takes us. <laughs> let's see where this takes us. And so I say, um, okay, well, um, what was your dream about? And he's like, there was monsters. And I was like, oh, you gotta be shitting me. And he's like, and so then I just, I was like, I'm just going to go into the movie now. And so I say, well, what did the monster look like? And and then he took it in a different direction and it wasn't like yeah. spot on, but I was like going, that's just so close. That's, so close that's quite home, a coincidence. Yeah. And and I'm not shitting you, man. These oh, things I believe happen. you. But, but in a way, I think it actually helped me to sink into um, the character more deeply. Because when we, were, when we were filming, it was... When, when, you're, when you're in something so much, because I was in almost like every scene yes. of that thing. And, and so I didn't have really any downtime. And you can kind of get into this this headspace and this energy that's really amazing artistically. And as a human being, it's a little dark and weird and stuff. But I feel like the finished product really kind of did a great job of kind of encapsulating yeah. uh, that artistic experience. And, and it's honestly, it's one of my, one of my proudest um achievements is is that film and, and as a matter of fact we're talking about doing some kind of maybe i don't know if we're going to do a sequel or if he and i are just going to team up on another film uh -huh. but um but he's i just i think he's a fantastic writer he's got some other great stuff going on and i'd love to do some kind of i don't know how to do a remake with that or not a remake but like a sequel well especially how it ends but yeah exactly yeah. exactly um it would have to be a very different kind of movie would we, we but we would um but we're going to we're going to do something again for me know? the part of the movie where you know you were great but where really you were like one on a thousand percent spot on is when you're sitting in your little office studio and you're like okay i believe you you're real and you want out but uh, yeah there there is no out once you invite the devil in there is no way out. And uh, you played that scene so brilliantly, the look of fear that you had on your face, knowing that you're trapped, and which led up to the ending to where you were being uh, systematically possessed by a demon, and you were about to hurt your child in the, in the movie. Yeah. And you made the ultimate sacrifice of jumping out of that window. But that scene of you... Uh, sitting alone and literally negotiating with the devil. What kind of headspace did you get into that to film that scene? You know, it's funny how 
having as as an actor have you know when you have when you have stuff that loads you up as a human being in a certain capacity the acting sometimes kind of takes care of itself because are you a, are you a dad oh yeah three yeah i've, I've got three so, teenagers <laughs> i've got a 14 and an 11 year old and they when as an as an actor all i have to do in a situation like that is even briefly because i don't even like really going there but just briefly kind of touching on my kids and if, I, if i'm a danger to my kids or and, and i immediately just makes me I just really get captured by the not only the the emotion of it, but also just the this this strange sense of like I will do anything uh -huh. to protect my kid. Exactly, any, uh, any actor or whatnot. If you want to tap into your most primal instincts as a parent, if you think about your kids and the fact that you are willing to do anything and everything for them it will bring out in you uh some stuff that you didn't yourself know you were capable of yeah yeah for sure for sure i mean we've all had those it's funny i think when you're i don't know maybe maybe moms do this too but i know that i'm sure they do but as a dad mm -hmm. you know you play you play out those especially in the world we live in where there's so much violence and there's so much you know gun violence over the 4th of July weekend, I think there's like 400 yeah. people shot or something crazy like that across. So, you know, you think about these things and you're like, what, what would I do? You know, and you, and you, you do those sort of hero stories in your own head about what you would do. Now, who, who knows if you were yeah, actually faced yeah. with it, how you, you know, if you'd be screaming and running, but, but the, but that, that very visceral, and that's and that's the thing you asked me that question about where my head was is even just talking to you about that and just kind of like considering this briefly it's like i just fill i fill up with all kinds of conflicting scary um you know mind-boggling sort of energies and yeah. emotion that, yeah. that you can't quite even put your finger on or even describe it's just like as a, as a parent you just Mm-hmm. I totally you, you understand. literally you'd you'd lay down your life, you know. And so that and so for to answer your question specifically, that's kind of where my head was at. Okay. It, I've got it because you remember what I'd already done to my sister at that point. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. so and my friend, you know. <laughs> so when it comes to my own um kid, it's like you know, I, I've I gotta I gotta do what I gotta do here. You gotta do and, what it and, yeah, it's so it's that was a, those were all like just great and this and the, honestly a lot of that's the writing too. Mm -hmm. Writing was so good, and he really let me take my time as a director. So if there are directors out there too, sometimes especially in these kind of really intense, no matter what the emotion is, but things that you, you get sometimes you gotta like let something breathe like a wine. You gotta mm -hmm. like let let a moment exist. You know, you can't always edit it out. No. You know, but like, let it, let something find its way into the scene and into the narrative and, and take your time with it. Because that's sometimes that's like the, the engine, like a, like a, like on a cold winter day, it's like getting the car running, you know? Yeah. And, um, and that's where I, I found that I, a lot of the, for me, a lot of the most powerful poignant moments came from not being afraid as an actor to take up space and to take my time and to not to not speak or move until it was warranted yeah you know what i mean gotcha as opposed to going oh i have a line now yeah i've got to say this thing now it's like no i it's that's coming from something yeah you know yeah you're tapping into something very special and yeah. you know like i said the movie has been underrated but i always tell a lot of people that i speak to history is going to be a judge of how successful a movie is how many movies have come out that were initially 
trash, not just in horror, but genres across the entertainment industry. And 10, 20 years pass and they become uh, cult classics. Uh, so the possession of Michael King is out there. It's available for people to watch. It has very, it has awesome user reviews, critic reviews. And I, I still believe as time passes, it's going to keep climbing, hopefully. And especially if you, if you guys do some kind of a continuation to the story, it will yeah. definitely revitalize interest in the first movie. So I hope that happens. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. Because... And you're right, you know, because th things can find a new audience too. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, we're seeing it all the time on Netflix. Where yes. Just some movie that was made, some, sometimes some of these things are like 30, 40 years old. Mm -hmm. You'll see movies that are all of a sudden up there on, and you'll be like, oh, what's this? And so if they, if a place like Amazon or Netflix kind of captures it, it was on, it was on stars, which is where my, TV shows on stars. And so that was kind of cool for a while because Lionsgate owns yeah. the movie. And so it was on, and they own stars. And so it was airing on stars for a while. And, um, and that was good for the movie. But, but if like a, if a Netflix or something like that picked it up and it, and people sort of started to kind of catch wind of it and it, and it kind of moved up and started getting pushed a little bit. Exactly. Um, it could take, it could definitely take off. It could off, definitely take off. It's not one and done. It's not the movie came out. It spent X amount of weeks in the theaters, came out a month after DVD release. That's it. It's said and done. It's, it's locked up. No. Movies, uh, especially in today's world with digital streaming like Netflix, Amazon, and now that there are genre-specific streaming services like Shudder and whatnot, there's always chance for... Uh, movies that did not get the recognition they deserve when they were released to find a whole new uh, audience like you mentioned and get completely revitalized. Now, moving on from Michael King, let's talk about your TV experience. Uh, you uh, were, your longest running TV stint is on a show called Power. Uh, what was it like working on a, such a successful show such as Power for I believed you were in it for oh god, well over sixty episodes, and then as well as the uh, the follow up series. Yeah, I mean it's honestly that I I got I did the my I did Michael King, and then I did one of the director's friends saw me and saw the early cut of Michael King and and put me in an episode of Criminal Minds where I also got lit on fire. I got lit on fire in Michael King a few times and then in, and then in uh, Criminal Minds. I just got to stop um, you for one second. I've done over well over 70 interviews. I think maybe five of my guests have not been on Criminal Minds. <laughs> a show that's, I mean, it ran for 15 years. It's like yeah. everybody's been on that show, but sorry, go on. Yeah, especially if they're LA-based. Yeah. Know, I get a lot of New Yorkers have done like the SBUs and all yeah. those things. But um, but anyway, the uh, and then pretty much, it wasn't that far after that, maybe six months that I got power. Mm -hmm. And we ran for six years, like you said, and and now I'm on the spinoff. I just finished uh, eighth episode of season two on the show. It's called Ghost. Yes. I finished that yesterday, and wow. so uh, we're you know we and we finish we finish in a few months, and then and then I you know hopefully we we roll right into the next season three. So that will be at that point. At this point, it's been eight years playing since 2013 playing this character and it's been you know as an as an actor man honestly in this day and age in any profession but but as an actor to get a to have a gig that lasts for eight years that you enjoy doing and that you like the people you're working with and you like the character you're playing and it, it's like it's like winning a lottery you know not only uh, job security but you love your job yeah, and I and it pu it puts me in a place where not only can I can help take care of my family and all that, but but I can also start to get to a point where I can put my attention on doing really doing the kind of work that I want to do um, that's designed by me, you know. Because and what I mean by that is 
you know, most of the stuff we do as actors is uh, somebody else's vision, somebody else's mm-hmm. concept, and and you're bringing you're bringing breathing it to life, which is amazing. And then you know you get to a certain point where you're kind of like, these are the stories I'm interested in telling. These are the kind of characters I like, and this is the kind of stuff I want to do. And and then hopefully getting enough kind of um, cachet to be able to make some of that stuff happen. Um, like for instance, a follow up to Michael King. I mm-hmm. I like. And I feel like because my stature has grown since then too, um, if we, and because I have so many incredible relationships uh, now, I could, I could really bring together an awesome group of people and, and make something, help make something really special that, that would not only help catapult that, you know, David and myself, the, the director, mm-hmm. but also, but also, like you said, sort of shine new light on, on Michael King, mm-hmm. uh, and kind of bring that up as well. And and you know, I just I have a uh, a lot of things I'd like to do, and um and this show, I feel like has been a a real, um, incredible gift to put me in a position where if I play my cards right and I'm self motivated and I do it. Um, that's the hard part, you know, is, um, if I can muscle through it and I can, I can do some pretty cool stuff from here. Absolutely. Now we hear a lot of times, uh, especially with people who've been on a particular TV show for a while that the writers really get to know the actor and they start writing the character based around that actor. Would you say that experience uh applies to you in power with your character of saxon right there uh have the writers started writing to your strong points i i a thousand percent a thousand percent i mean it's a show it's a for those don't know it it's a it's an urban drug drama Mm -hmm. with sex and violence and um and i play a like a federal agent sort of not really he's a u.s attorney but he's basically like a fed he's like a you know uh national cop sort of guy right and and i'm i'm on the show i'm a bad guy but in you know in in life i would be considered i guess a good guy um but but what i bring one of the things i bring to the show is is uh a lot of humor and a lot of uh you know which is not necessarily common in that sort of urban drug drama energy. And so, you know, I just play, I play an asshole, like he's a prick, you know, and he just has a strong point of view and it got, you know, the audience loves to hate my character. I I get, I get, I get threatened. So, so often. That's how you know you did a good job. Yeah. People are constantly like, Oh my God, I hate you. I, if I ever see you, I'm going to punch you in the face. I can't, you know, like people, it, and so I'm eliciting, you know, a strong response from people. And, um, and certainly the writers, I, I think, I mean, they don't necessarily, it's not, it's kind of an unspoken thing. I think they give you something, you know, day one, they give you work and you, and you do your thing and they go, and then when they're considering the storyline, they're, they're like, you know what? And they can't help but kind of yeah. factor in who you are and your dynamic unless you're flat you know if you're pretty flat and they can kind of just count on you to you know and you get that a lot in procedurals right Mm -hmm. where they just kind of show up and say the lines Mm -hmm. and i'm not saying that as a negative thing it's just kind of their characters don't necessarily have to have a lot of dynamics they kind of um even if they're carrying a gun and it's life and death they're so they're chill you know Mm -hmm. and and so they they don't necessarily have a lot of variance and then every once in a while and most of those shows, by the way, it's funny, you'll see like a bunch of straight men and then you'll have one like really sort of offbeat, colorful character. Yeah. Right. And, and so I'm not offbeat, but I'm, um, but I kind of, me and maybe, uh, one other, one, maybe two other guys kind of help bring some levity, which I think is needed. You know, when something's yeah. in intense, it's like you watch the Sopranos, you know, the one of the things that makes the Sopranos work is that sometimes there's there's comedy, there's humorous moments. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't mean like comedy, like it's a comedy, oh, but I just things mean, that yeah. you, they, they they kind of like you know, and and the characters are so out there and they're fun and they're kind of they're vibrant and but they're taking themselves really seriously. Mm-hmm. 
and it just, you know, it, it helps, it helps to kind of, uh, you know, it helps as an audience to kind of take some of the, the tension out of a moment. Exactly. And, and that's needed, you know, not just in criminal or horror. I think that's needed in, you know, uh, movies, television shows across the spectrum uh, to have some lighthearted moments. Uh, it makes a difference. Well, it certainly makes you, it's funny, like my my mentor talks about, it's kind of like, he, he calls it like a plie, which is, a, you know, a dance yes. move where you, you bend your knees and you plie in order to jump, mm -hmm. right? But if you try and jump with straight legs, you're not really going to get anywhere. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes, you know, if you're going for, if you're going for intense danger, it's like, it's like Christoph Waltz, right? Mm -hmm. And in, like in Glorious Bastards he comes in and you, and he's just like delightful and he's funny and he's kind of like, everything's kind of light mm -hmm. and you just know, and you can, and it's terrifying. It's terrifying because you just know the other side of that. Yes. And, and to me, he, I thought, I think he did an incredible job in that. And, um, and to me, I, it's kind of, I take a page from that. I'm not saying that my stuff is that, that sort of intense, but I take a page from that because I feel like, if he came, if he came in and he was just being the bad guy, and he was like, "Where are they? I know somebody's in this house. Sure, uh, tell me where they are. I'm ripping your fingernails out." Yeah. You'd be like, oh, "Okay, that's the standard sort of like mm -hmm. bad." But because it's because he came in and he's like, "Do you have any milk?" You know, and he's like, "He's he just like it's the psychological kind of like, war." For, you know, oh yeah. yeah, and you're at home just going like, "Oh my god!" Like I, I, you're sweating. You know, yeah. And it makes it makes the because everybody anybody that saw that movie remembers that. He won an Oscar for uh, that <laughs> role, uh, so yeah, I mean, it's good to and it see. put him on the map. Right? Exactly, exactly. How do you feel power handles the very difficult and real topic of racism and the justice system uh, today? How do you feel it, it its approach to it is? Well, I feel like it doesn't necessarily have an answer to it, but it shines a light on it. You know, mm -hmm. uh, you can't, I mean, that's the place in which the show takes place and you're rooting for, you know, uh, the heroes, the, the anti-heroes of the show are, um, for the most part, African-American. Yeah. And, and then you have on the other side of that coin, me kind of representing law enforcement essentially yeah. and and if, and other people too but um it's kind of like that tension that you see that it's funny there's just a lot of um you you also i think you also kind of get the the cultural themes of why certain things exist and why why certain drives are there and even though you you know you people might watch it and go like why why are you making these choices why young black man why are you making these choices right mm -hmm. and don't you know haven't you don't you aren't you educated enough to see what the future holds for you if yeah. you continue down this path mm -hmm. and yet you also get a sense for why those guardrails that have kind of been put in place to kind of keep people yeah. stuck and set and give in and, and their options like negotiated and mm -hmm. by by other powers you know kind of like going no this is where you this is your lane stay in your lane yeah and and the struggle to get out of that lane makes people the heroes in this case the struggle to get out of that lane makes people cross criminal lines yeah. and cross Kind of ethical boundaries because they're after something that's noble yes. they're after something noble and and i think that's the thing that thematically i feel like is really exciting about the show exactly it's basically the question does the ends justify the means of getting there in a way now do you think sax's <laughs> exactly do you think sax's approach to justice is effective not at all no not at all he I'm very driven, Ice being sax, very driven to uh, to win. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the reasons 
why why he's so kind of like you want to punch him because I just he's competitive he wants to win he wants his he comes from a family that has high expectations of him and he's fa- he fails he fails he fails and because he's he, at least for a lot of the show he's not really in it for the right reasons you know he's in it to prove a point he's in it to to be to to get a to get a gold star on his lapel yeah. you know rather than rather than um rather than that he's really after like i want to make this world a better place he's you know? like uh <laughs> you're almost describing him like almost like an egomaniac narcissist in a way you know yeah yeah and 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 again part of that is because of his upbringing you know he's comes from a very successful family with money and privilege and yeah. all that stuff and he's chosen to go you know what no i don't want any of that i'm going to take a public servant job essentially and make a, a tenth of what i could make if i went into the private sector but but i, I have a point to prove it'll feed my ego yeah and and he so he rises in the ranks there and he's and it's just he just got conflicting reasons for why he's doing what he's doing and they end up catching up to him you know they catch up to him and it's so in a way it's like everybody sort of creates their own justice on the show really and i think that's kind of to some degree the theme of from the showrunner i think she's interested in people kind of earning their own justice you know okay i mean that makes perfect sense uh what do you how do you feel about uh the spinoff uh power book two called ghost uh as compared to uh power i mean uh i mean is it the same experience going from one show to a sister show uh like power you know which is called ghost it's power book Two, the full name power book right. Two ghost how does it feel going from you know the the mother i like calling them the mother shows into a sister yeah. spinoff well the thing that's been pre- that's pretty cool is the show it, the power was such a massive hit that i mean we had like 10 million viewers we were like the second biggest and then and then eventually the, the biggest show in premium cable after game of thrones it was wow. like game of thrones game of thrones and then power i mean we were killing it in the ratings and so when the show, when the, when the mother show kind of came to a close, I think it was kind of a no brainer to do something. And, and it was such a big hit that I, that they ended up doing, they have like three, uh, one, two, three, four spinoffs. That's right. Four spinoffs, which is to me unheard of. I can't even think of it. I mean, it's almost like a, um, a Dick Wolf show, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. There are four spinoffs, three of which are currently in production, and um, and and I think they're all going to be like Raising Canaan, which is based on Fifty Cent's character from the original show. Mm-hmm. It's set in the '90s. It's a period piece. It, it looks incredible. It airs on the 18th of this month. It's like the it's the it's the premiere, and I think it's going to be incredible. The cast is insane. It's going to be great. And then Tommy. The, the Tommy spinoff, which is Joe Secora's mm-hmm. spinoff called, called Force, is coming out later, and that's filming right now with again an incredible cast, and um, and so it's really exciting. It's exciting to see that whole power we call it like the power universe, you know, yeah, um, elevating and and the fans are really into it, and it's and but to answer your question about me and the the ride on Ghost is it is very different. It's very different, and it's cool because we've we've kept a lot of the elements of power, mm-hmm. and then we've also added this whole um, really younger sort of dynamic. You're getting to sort of see like a young ghost. It's based on his son, right? So the original ghost, uh, James St. Patrick, he is he dies in power. Spoiler alert! And then his son kind of who's just coming of age. So it's kind of a coming of age thing too, is starting to kind of take on that mantle and become this businessman, drug dealer, you know, uh, but he's, but he's also coming into his own and he's becoming a, a king in a way, you know, he's becoming Mm -hmm. a king and, and, and all the things that all dodging all the things that are coming at him and managing his kingdom. 
while as he's as he's elevating and and of course i'm still there a thorn in his side and, yeah uh, and so it's, it's great it's been it's incredible a, yeah it's a fascinating show and i anybody out there who has not watched just please start watching it you won't regret it it's an amazing amazing show and as shane just said it is hugely popular we're almost out of time the last question i want to ask you as your career progresses uh do you have any interest uh, in doing more stuff or getting more involved in behind the camera work, production producer, uh, you said you're not a director. Do you want to be a director? Do you have any interest in directing? You know, I don't know if it's out of fear or what, but I, I don't have any interest in directing specifically directing. I write, I love writing. I love producing. I love the teamwork of that. I love actually casting. I love kind of being yeah. part of a producing group that's casting. I like going, Hey, who, who can we get? Who do we know? Yeah, you know, this person, you know, that, you know, I love pulling together passionate casts and, um, I love writing work. I actually like writing as much as I like acting. Um, I think the thing that's cool about writing is it's all bubbling up from you mm -hmm. and, and you're you're writing whole arcs and stories and creating characters from out of thin air and that's really magical and as an, as an actor you get to do that but it's but you're as an actor you're kind of uh, you have an artist's palette of colors and you're you're the you're one color exactly, you know, yeah. in, the, in the painting and as a writer you've got the whole palette and you know what I mean? Yeah, you start off with a blank canvas, and it's your creation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. that's really exciting, and and I I really do enjoy producing. It's tough, but I enjoy producing. The thing about directing is that, and and maybe this is not true, but I feel like as a director, you have to have like I shouldn't say you have to, but it certainly behooves you to have a wealth of knowledge about film vernacular and you know, knowing shots and mm -hmm. being able to talk about like, Oh, remember in this movie when this director had did that shoot scene and that your cinematographer is like, yeah, totally. It's like, yeah, something like that. Or I want to recreate. Remember in this movie when that director did this and that, and they remember that lighting scheme, remember yeah. that whole, movie? and I'm, and I'm not that guy. Like okay. I, I watch, I watch movies like a fan and, and, and I know that, you know, it's my mentors, like you can't watch movies like that. Meaning you have to kind of be able to study them. Yeah. Um, but I get lost in story, man. I, oh, I, I sit down. I, I sit down and I watch stuff. I don't sit there and go like, "Oh, this lighting's not good," or "This shot is weird," or "They crossed the line." You know, I don't. I don't. I don't. Yeah, think I, like I'm that. with you. I that's how I watch movies. But I've met people. My daughter actually, who's a, a film student. You know, she's like, "Did you notice that they did that 20 minute scene in one take?" I'm like, no. <laughs> I'm right, like, it's right. cool to know, but no, I, I, I didn't. I go but back. She, but she was, but so, so she watches movies. She watches things differently. She's clocking yeah, it. Yeah. Whereas, um, and I can do it, but I have to muscle myself to do. It. I have to be like, okay, really pay attention to the, to the way that they they pull this together. Well, that and, sort oh, of ruins the movie. It's, yeah, yeah. And it and sort so, of ruins the story and, a little bit. You know what I mean? And, and, yeah, and I feel like as a director, you, you're kind of like the, you're the conductor of a symphony, right? Yeah. And so you have to you have to be aware of each individual instrument. In this case, the canvas being the movie screen and the audio and all the things along with it. And so you're 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 paying attention to all that stuff. And I like to just get lost in it. I know. And I hear you. So, so uh, to me, a conductor is kind of like a director. It's yeah. like you're, you're you're dealing with all those things, and my mind is like. I could do, I could direct actors like in a scene. I, I could just get down and be like, Hey, so, and like that seems like it would be a blast, but what lens are we on? And yeah. uh, what light, yeah, what lights do we have over here? Like, let's turn it up to 10% or whatever. I, I don't even know the language. I'm I just like, that's, that's somebody else's job. I totally, totally get it. Uh, man, uh, we're, do you believe the sour just flew by like that? Thank you so much for being, this has been a fascinating talk. I really enjoyed talking to you this hour just freaking flew by uh any final thoughts you want to share with the audience before we say goodbye 
No, I mean, listen, it was a pleasure. It was a pleasure talking to you. I appreciate your insight and your questions. And this was a, a lot of fun. I, I really enjoyed the, the conversation. Same here. Same here, Shane. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for our viewers for tuning in. Uh, Shane, I can't thank you enough. This has been a very informative, fascinating hour. Uh, I've wanted to talk to you for a while. And thank you for coming on our show. Again, all yeah. our viewers, thank you for tuning in. Stay safe till tomorrow. Remember, stay walking. Good night.